Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of My Ruby Story. This week, we're talking to Joe Leo III. Joe, do you want to say hello? Hi, everybody. I am Joe Leo III. This episode is sponsored by Sentry.io. Recently, I came across a great tool for tracking and monitoring problems in my apps. Then I asked them if they wanted to sponsor the show and allow me to share my experience with you. Sentry provides a terrific interface for keeping track of what's going on with my app. It also tracks releases so I can tell if what I deployed makes things better or worse. They give full stack traces and as much information as possible about the situation when the error occurred to help you track down the errors. Plus, one thing I love, you can customize the context provided by Sentry. So, if you're looking for specific information about the request, you can provide it. It automatically scrubs passwords and secure information, and you can customize the scrubbing as well. Finally, it has a user feedback system built in that you can use to get information from your users. Oh, and I also love that they support open source to the point where they actually open source Sentry if you want to self-host it. Use the code devchat at sentry.io to get two months free on Sentry's small plan. That's code devchat at sentry.io. Yeah, and we had you on Ruby Rogues. We talked to you and David Black about uh, the book you guys uh, just released. Yeah, you did. Uh, that was a lot of fun. The, the Well-Grounded Rubyist third edition, which I uh, co-wrote with David Black, David Abelhack. Yeah, and we, we talked to him a couple of weeks ago. And so, you know, people have already heard him talk about his story. And it's it's really kind of fun to just get a feel for where people are at and and, and what they're doing, where they came from, and all that stuff. Um, and yeah, so we're going to get into your story. I'm a little curious, though, as we get rolling, what, what's going on in your life since we talked back in, what was it, June, July? Oh, uh, so that is a good question. Uh, the first thing that comes to mind that went on in my life is that my daughter started pre-K, which uh, was a really big deal for her. And it turns out it was a really big deal for or her parents too. Um, is she your oldest? She's my oldest and only. Ah. And uh, yeah, so uh, so you know, a whole new um, school and a whole new routine, um, and that's been pretty cool. And also, you know, there's this whole part where she's not a baby anymore, and she's getting to be a big girl. Um, you know, she's been telling me that since she could talk, but now it's becoming more true. And so uh, yep. that's the biggest thing that's happened last few months uh, personally yeah i hear that my youngest started preschool and so oh, my wow. wife now has an hour what an hour and a half every tuesday and thursday and so yeah and that's changed our routine up a bit too so yeah i bet does that mean she has an hour and a half to herself every yeah tuesday? pretty much that's fantastic so of course she like cleans the house or something right <laughs> right just put your feet up yeah 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 so yeah I know how that goes, but uh, yeah, and, and it's it does it changes everything. I mean, I have five kids, and when my oldest started school, life definitely changed. Yeah, yeah, I know that about you, and that's that's the kind of interesting thing for me is that I, you know, I had Lucy a little bit later into my adulthood, so I spent a whole lot of time as a, as an adult, uh, supposedly high functioning adults, <laughs> looking at other. <laughs> friends of mine that had kids and even one kid and thinking, Oh my, you know, how in the world does anybody do that? This is so much work and so much whatever. And then, you know, I met the, I met the right uh, person and, uh, and I married that person and we said, okay, let's, let's try to have a kid. And, you know, now we're doing it. And now I look at everybody that has more than one. And I, say, 
and I say, oh my goodness, how in the world can anybody do that? <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> the same internal monologue. Yeah, it, it, everybody has a different definition of normal. And we, we see this in like, the programming world too. But, you know, I, I grew up the oldest of 10 kids. Wow. And so, you know, my view on things is, is different from, you know, other folks, you know, that mm-hmm. grew up in a smaller family with one, two or three kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. So, so yeah. So the way that I look at it, in fact, my wife is uh, the second of four. Oh, so okay. We, we had us a discussion about how many kids we were going to have. I bet you did. Yeah. So you basically averaged it. You had one more on the way. Uh, no, we're done. <laughs> um, we initially, I wanted like eight and she wanted four and we okay. settled on six. And then after, after my daughter was done, it was just so hard on her. We were just like, no, we're done. Yeah. Yeah. But it, it wasn't because we didn't want more kids. It was because we didn't want more pregnancy. If that makes sense. <laughs> it does make, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, my folks, I'm the oldest of four. My folks both wanted 12 kids. I can't even believe that that is real, but they both wanted 12. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, and they, they started, they started young and they were on track. And then uh, somewhere along the line, my youngest sister was born. She's 10 years younger than me. And my mom was pregnant and she went to my dad and said, uh, you know, I think, I think this is really it. This is, uh, this is going to be the last one. And my dad just looked at her and said, I'm so glad you said it first. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's definitely, I mean, everybody makes these decisions for their own reasons and it's, it's really hard to say what the right decision is. So you do the best you can. And yeah. Yeah. So anyway, um, yeah, let, let's talk a little bit more about uh, your programming journey. And then we can dive back into, uh, you know, some of the personal stuff a little bit toward the end. Sure. Um, I'm a little curious how you got into programming in the first place. Yeah, it was it was not a straight road. Uh, in fact, uh, David and I have a couple of things in common in this in this regard. But I took kind of a circuitous, circuitous route to programming in general and Ruby specifically. Um, so I learned how to program in BASIC on a command line. And uh, I had an uncle who was in software engineering, and he taught me a few things, and he got me a book. And so I learned it, and I really liked it. And then I kind of just, you know, like a lot of things when he was a kid, I kind of just moved on. And... Um, I went to college and I decided I wanted to be in the music industry. And so that meant to me, that meant to get a business degree. And because I, I liked math, um, it seemed like the most logical thing for me to do would be to get an economics degree uh, Mm -hmm. and get, and then go into the music industry. Uh, An interesting thing about that is that I graduated in 2003, which was basically right on the heels um, on the, tail end of the uh of the napster scandal and about two years after itunes came out um and so actually being in the traditional music industry which is what i was doing and interning uh it wasn't such a great idea it wasn't such a great time to do that so i took my first job at uh electro records really didn't like it and ended up out of the music industry after six months um got an administrative uh assistant job and decided I was going to go into cinema studies. And so that's uh, where David and I kind of aligned. Decided to get a graduate degree in cinema studies. I went to NYU. And while I went there at night and 
at the same time worked during the day as an administrative assistant um, for the NYU School of Medicine. But the kind of stuff I was doing there actually tended toward programming. So they had a bunch of exams that they were just storing on, you know, exam questions that were just storing in Word documents and they didn't have any way of administering the exams, randomizing the questions, running analytics on how the questions performed year over year. And so gradually I started to just program this stuff. And it was just me. And I was really writing bad code. But I wrote it, uh, <laughs> you know, with the help of, you know, Google at the time. I, I don't think there was a Stack Overflow, uh, a bunch of books, and I wrote it in Visual Basic for applications. And the, but by and by, I started to really like it. And so it took a few years since I was going to school at night to get my, my film degree. And by the time I finished, I thought, well, you know, I actually kind of like this programming thing. I wonder if I could do that full time. And, you know, and the, you know, the teaching or, you know, or screenwriting or whatever I was going to do um, with my degree, you know, that would still be there, you know, a year or so from then. Right. And so, uh, so I took the plunge at that point and decided, well, I'll go work at, um, at an agile software consultancy, um, which I did. And, um, it's an interesting choice at that point. It really was not, you know, this was 2007 software development was not a flashy profession. It was a kind of thing where, Hey, you, know, you could go and, you know, and maybe make enough money to support your family. And, um, and that sounded you know, good to me, but I, I really liked programming. And uh, I took that job. I figured I'd do it for a year and see if I liked it. And I, I have not looked back. You know, 12 years later, that's, uh, I feel like I'm exactly where I wanted to be. Right. So uh, I, I think it's interesting. I mean, I've, I've talked to a lot of people that, yeah, they come out of the, you know, you, you mentioned cinema or mm -hmm. you know, some of these other industries that you were interested in. I've talked to a number of people who, yeah, they went and they studied one thing and then, yeah, they found some application for development like you did mm -hmm. and said, okay, well, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll go do this. And, you know, they either gave up on the other thing or I'll do it in my spare time or, you know, things like that. And it's, it's fascinating yeah. to me just how much or how many people are in the, in the community or in the programming profession that they don't have a CS degree. They right. don't really have a lot of them don't even have any really kind of formal training. It's just, well, I kind of picked it up and it kind of worked out and I got better and that's kind of how it went. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that is my story too. And it's, uh, you know, I think that's, uh, I also find that interesting when I talk to people about their stories that uh, so many of us are in that place. We came from different backgrounds, but it does really make for, well, one, it makes for a really rich culture. It also means that we get to bring a whole bunch of different experiences to the table when we come together to develop software. Yeah, absolutely. I'm a little curious with, with your kind of uh, different shades of, you know, artistic background. What, you know, how does that inform your programming? You know, does, does it affect the way that you think about code? Do you think maybe other people with different backgrounds think about it differently? Yeah, I think it's possible. I definitely had a um, a substantial feeling of being an outsider in the beginning. Like, I, you know, hey, I didn't have this formal training and I didn't learn this the way it was supposed to be learned. And, uh, you know, I had a mentor back then who um, I think it was at a peer review with him um, who, uh, you know, kind of uh, 
metaphorically speaking, you know, smacked me around a little bit and said, look, this is, <laughs> you know, you're, you're doing fine. You know, you can't use this as a crutch. If you want to go learn something, learn it. And he was absolutely right. The one, the thing about being a uh, creative type or, you know, really liking film and music and writing and then, you know, bringing that mind into programming is that the perspective I have is that I, I do, I do feel like designing software is a creative endeavor. And uh, so I, by no means do I, do I feel like it's an art form, but I do like the creative aspect of it. Um, you know, it's, it's easy to get agreement on, on this, for example. Everybody knows or would agree that there's more than one way to write a Ruby program, right? Mm -hmm. It's, it's uh, from Matt himself. And so that's even in the simplest program. Well, then as you start thinking about that higher level systems and how they interact and how they communicate, there are many, many ways that those things can be designed. And I like to turn on the creative part of my brain to think about well, what's the best way, what's the most sustainable way. You know, what's, you know, in my view, there's beauty to some software creation, right? So what's the most beautiful way to put these things together? Right. Yeah. Um, when we did a JavaScript Jabber episode where we just talked about what JavaScript was, Amy Knight, and she, her background, she was a professional figure skater. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, came into programming. She went to a boot camp, and you know, her journey is pretty interesting too. We've talked about it on JavaScript Jabber and on my JavaScript story. But uh, she chimed in and she said that to her, programming is a way of telling a story. Yes, so, you know, it, it kind of echoes a little bit of what you're saying here too. Yes, I think that's true. And then I guess you know, Git is like the uh, the editor's revisions history um, of your story. But I think that's, yeah, I think that's accurate. Certainly, you know, I do a lot of work with legacy code. And so you kind of get to, you get to read somebody else's story. And you also, if you look at it that way, you get to, you hopefully form some respect for that story because if it, you know, if it wasn't worth telling, you wouldn't be there, you know, right. to, to take it to that next stage. And so, uh, I think that's, I like that. Um, yeah, I like that sentiment quite a bit. That's a story. Yeah. Awesome. So, so you get into programming, you start, you know, building out these systems. How did you find Ruby? Um, Ruby found me, so to speak. I took a, I took a few continuing ed classes at, at NYU to learn Java, mm -hmm. uh, because that was really the hot thing to, to learn about me. You know, and well, not that it was hot, but it was the, it was the steadfast thing to learn about 2005. Right. We we're going to build web applications. So, Got my job at the Agile Consultancy, got my first gig with a customer working in Java, but that only lasted a few months. And then I was on the bench, so to speak. And a couple of weeks later, my boss came up to me and said, hey, we're going to put you on this project um, with uh, these few other engineers that all worked with me. And you're going to go out there and you're going to write Ruby. And I said, well, that sounds really exciting. You know, I've, I've heard great things about Ruby, uh, but I don't know anything about it. And, you know, he said, in effect, well, you know, don't worry about it. We'll give you a book. And uh, I said, okay. Um, I love and, how that's the solution. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. And, and you know, and they, they really did. They got, the book I got was the pickaxe book because I, there weren't that many other ones. And, uh, you know, I started learning it that way. Luckily, there was also Agile Web Development with Rails. Um, yep. And that, that I learned quite a bit from. And then over, over time, I know we talked about this the last time you and I spoke, but, you know, Read a whole bunch of different books, but uh, but they and luckily they didn't just set me up with a book. 
they sent me out there with you know a couple of the the best software engineers that I that I'd ever met, and probably that's true to this day. Uh, Dan Wellman and Mushfeq Khan, and um, and I went out there to this to this project, and it was a it was a large sort of sort of like startup defense company uh, that was eventually mm-hmm. acquired by Boeing. Uh, it was a few weeks engagement, so they didn't, they didn't really think I was going to need to be out there for very long or learn very much. And of course, you know, the, the, the gig lasted like three plus years, and I was out there for a long time, and I learned, uh, you know, it, you know everything there, everything I could possibly learn about Ruby in that time. Um, and I did most of it by sitting down pair programming with people that were better than me, people that were, that knew software development better than me, maybe in other languages, people that knew Ruby, um, and then reading, writing, and conversing about the Ruby language for, you know, the next three plus years. And I just sort of immersed myself in it. And I did quickly fall in love with it. I, coming from a Java background, it was difficult at first for me to understand the notion of um, dynamism that is so present in in Ruby. I was really I was really used to you know the statically typed language of Java, but I, you know, man, I just can't describe how much you know learning it, both Ruby and Rails, which is learning the language, made me love the language, and then made me want to learn more about it. It was this uh, very healthy cycle that kept going around and around. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I mean, that that reflects my story a little bit. Um, I mean, I picked up Rails to solve a particular problem where I was working. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, as I learned more Rails, and it was like, well, I want to be able to do more with this. And it became pretty apparent that I needed to learn Ruby. So I started learning Ruby. And, you know, that was great. And, yeah. And so I kept digging in deeper and deeper and deeper. Yeah. A few years ago at a JavaScript conference, I was approached by Nader Dabit. And you might know him for the React Native Radio podcast. He's also a developer evangelist for Amazon. And when he came to me, we had a conversation about React Native. And the thing that I love about React Native is that it's approachable, it's web technology, and it's cross-platform. And it makes a lot of things really easy for developers to jump in and do interesting things on mobile with JavaScript. So we've had this show now running for several years, React Native Radio, where we interview people about the React Native ecosystem, some of the things that are coming out in React and how they affect mobile, and other options that you have for mobile development. So if you're doing mobile development, you're doing it in JavaScript, you're looking for a good option, or maybe you're just trying to stay current with React Native, then go check out React Native Radio at reactnativeradio.com. Yeah, you know, and I like to hear that because it kind of, you know, reaffirms what I felt as well. I mean, did you feel like you were getting better, like you were hitting a limit and then you would learn a little bit more Ruby and it would push you through that limit? Yeah, that was often where it was, was it was like, I'd run into some, yeah, some wall, right? And then it's, okay, well, what what's going on here? And so I would dig into that and I would learn how Ruby operated under the hood. And right. then it's like, oh, and then it opened up all this other stuff to me. And so then I'd go explore all those other things. And then, you know, and then I'd run into something else. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, that was really my experience too. A, a lot of times in reading, I would, you know, I would get into a topic, whether it was in a book or it was in a um, or in a blog, and I would start with a understanding what I was reading, and then I would get over my head. And this was an experience I had a lot. Yeah. Uh, well, I guess I still have. You know, I read for a while, then I get in over my head, and I think, 
oh, I think the answer is in Ruby for, you know, if I learn some more, then I'll get, then I'll get this and, and vice versa. So, yeah, I think the answer is that I need to know a little bit more Rails. And that, um, you know, that really was helpful, uh, kind of a helpful mindset to approaching web development. Yeah, nice. So what, what kinds of things have you done with Ruby? It's, it's always interesting to me. Some people, it's, you know, when we talked about the book, for example, but, mm-hmm. you know, some people, it's, well, I've built all these interesting projects for my employer or my clients. And for yeah. other people, it's, I built this library that everybody uses or yeah. that nobody uses. Or you know, <laughs> I, I just, I use it, um, you know, in in kind of the generic common ways that you would think of. And then, you know, but at home, I'm using it to, you know, fiddle with this thing or that thing. Yeah. I think it's kind of fascinating to think about the amount of success that Ruby brought first adopters. And I talked about this publicly about a year ago at Haruko. Um, you know, I remember riding the train home with my coworkers looking into like how Twitter was doing because Twitter was like, was for us like the measuring stick of whether or not Ruby was going to make it. And, you know, and we would, you know, continue to have jobs writing Ruby code. And, uh, and it's been fascinating now that, you know, 10 plus years later to see what people have done with the, um, the success that's come with that and the freedom that's come with that. And some people, uh, just like you mentioned, some people, you know, really invest their time into libraries. Some people start podcasts and talk to people about Ruby. Uh, some people write books and, um, you know, some people have used it to be able to spend more time with their families or work from interesting places. And it's, it is kind of fascinating for me. I did a few things with it. I, and, and I think what I did with Ruby was I, I just picked out the people in Ruby that I thought were like sort of my, my heroes in Ruby that I just thought were kind of the, the coolest people I knew that were writing Ruby. Mm-hmm. And I tried to do what they, what they did, honestly. Um, and so, you know, I did a few different things. I, you know, I wrote the book, right? I co-wrote the book with David, but I did, you know, I wanted to write because, you know, because Sandy Metz wrote a book about Ruby and she was this right. she was amazing. And, and David Black did, and he was this, um, and Wellman, and they were mentors to me and they wrote, so I wanted to write. I ended up organizing the Gotham Ruby conference for the last few years. And I did that because Jen Lindner and Stephen Shore and Josh Knowles were GoRuco organizers, and they were like the coolest people I knew. And so I just wanted to do what they did. And so that was a big part of my story as well, was going in and, and organizing. I also went and I taught Ruby and Rails development at General Assembly. Um, and I think that I did that. Uh, I never did the full dip, the, the immersive course, but I... I taught the night course um, for a couple of semesters, and I found that to just be this incredibly fulfilling, you know, service-oriented uh, activity, where I could, um, you know, where I could apply some of my own learning and then learn myself. Like I, you know, General Assembly, and I'm sure many other schools of its ilk have this interesting combination of people that have come up in education and curriculum design, and people that have come up like me in software software development application and so i got to you know i got to learn how to teach and then i got to apply some of my own my own knowledge of software development and the industry itself to try to you know get some more folks into ruby and 
get some more folks um, into maybe a job that they wanted. And working, you know, working the night classes was kind of great for me because I could really identify with those people because I was, you know, I was a night school person and, um, you know, and trying to figure out what to do with my, my day job and how to change it to be more in line with what I wanted to do every day. And, um, and so I, you know, I identified pretty strongly with a lot of the, a lot of my students and they've just made for a really rich experience. Um, and so those are, those are the major things that I did with Ruby. And then, you know, probably the biggest thing out of all of them was that I went and started a business. Um, right. Death method. <laughs> yeah. Death method, which is, you know, another agile software consultancy. Uh, the one I used to work for is not around anymore, but, uh, which one was that going strong. I worked for a company called Cyrus Innovation and, uh, that company, when I worked for them, um, had an ownership of, uh, a couple of guys named Bruce and Rex and the, then the company changed hands a couple of times. And then in a weird twist of fate, uh, Deaf Method, my company ended up taking over Cyrus Innovation in 2016. And um, so we kind of absorbed some of the people that were, were left and created a, a larger consultancy for Deaf Method. Right. And, uh, and that started out, you know, Deaf Method though started out as, hey, I, I am a Rubyist and I can, <laughs> I can write Ruby and I can, I can manage folks at this point. I can do some CTO-like things. Um, so why don't you hire me? And that quickly turned into, well, you know, we like working with you, but we'd love it if we could find, you know, a few other Rubyists and, and put them right. on a project. And so that's, um, that's kind of how it went. Um, and, you know, for me, you know, be, even being able to start a business at all, let alone keep it going to this day, was all a product of spending 12 years here in New York, mostly writing Ruby and connecting with other Rubyists. So that when I said, okay, I'm open for business, there were people out there that said, oh, you know, I remember working with you. That was fun. Let's do that again. Nice. Yeah. So what's life like then in the, the, the days of uh, Joe Leo? <laughs> uh, I, I think it's a, it's a pretty good life <laughs> day to day. I've got, uh, I've got my small family, as I mentioned, my wife and my daughter, Lucy. And I, I am home for dinner um, and, to, and to hang out with Lucy most nights. I take her to school every morning and I, and I work. I, do, I spend a lot of my time these days in, um, in sales and writing and managing a company, kind of managing other developers, managing, managing, oh, sorry, managing managers of developers. And that's been... That's also kind of fascinating because I, at some level, I mourn the fact that I don't get to write Ruby 40 hours a week anymore. And I, I jump at every opportunity I get <laughs> to go and, and write some Ruby um, or even to write about Ruby. But at the same time, just like when I was teaching at GA or just like when I was getting into programming or this industry, um, there's just always so much to learn. And, um, and as long as I you know, keep myself surrounded by folks that are like me, that are career-long learners, that always want to learn and always, always have something to teach, um, I feel like I'm in pretty good shape. Yep, that makes sense. And yeah, I, I definitely understand the, 
managing people and managing managers part of things because I mean, I wind up uh, hurting a lot of cats to get the podcast done. I bet you like, do. I don't. I don't get as much time to just write code, and you know, this is a little bit of a proxy for that because I get to talk to people about code. But yeah, it's not yeah. quite the same thing. So I definitely hear that. And so, what kinds of? Uh, so I'm interested then because you've got, you know, sort of you're sort of in the same dilemma as I am. So you know, what what kind of opportunities do you seize on to? to just go quickly write some code is like a podcast technical challenge come up and you're just like, all right, I'll see if I can figure this out. Sometimes. And sometimes it's more along the lines of, you know, I'll write a little code to automate something for the podcast or currently we're working on a tool called PodWrench. Okay. Um, it's not publicly available, but you go to podwrench.com and you kind of get a, a placeholder website that I've put together. I will. It, uh, you know, so we're we're starting to automate the processes behind the podcast. So what I'm doing there is, you know, it's written in Rails. And, okay. uh, you know, I have a developer that's been helping me with it because I don't have time to write all the code. Yeah, so I do a little bit of work on that and I'll clean things up or I'll get in and, you know, um, write a little bit of code to clarify things for the developer that I'm working with. And that's also very handy. Mm-hmm. Something that my uh, clients when I was doing freelancing just didn't, always have the capability of doing. But yeah, it's it's that kind of thing. I'm also going to be, I wind up speaking at conferences. And so sometimes I'll sit down and crank out some code for that. Um, yeah, that's nice. The, that's a good opportunity. The devchat.tv website is written in 11.js. And so... Oh, nice. Um, and 11 is just a static site generator like Jekyll. Mm-hmm. And so I wind up writing a little bit of JavaScript here and there for that. And so I, I get my toes in the water periodically just not as often as i'd like sometimes yeah yeah i hear you the other thing that i've been playing with lately is just getting i'm working on getting things to the point where i can spend a couple hours every week just writing code and typically i'm going to be posting those to like twitch or something but yeah just figuring that out so i can just sit down for a few hours and just code something out yeah yeah you really got to um I'd imagine you really have to uh, sort of fight for your time, like defend that time, yeah. right? Um, it's such a, I mean, it's such a struggle for all of us to, you know, fight for our own time on our calendar. Um, but certainly with, a, with something like programming, um, I still do the same things that, <laughs> you know, that uh, I did when I was programming full time, which is, you know, underestimate how long things will take yeah. or overestimate my ability to do them. And, uh, you know, something I think will take two hours doesn't. So, so then it becomes extra important that you really, you know, say, no, no, this, this morning, whatever it is, every Tuesday morning, this is off limits for scheduling and for interruptions. Yeah. 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 The other proxy I have for it is writing books. I figured out that that's something that I enjoy doing. Yeah. I have one written that I'm just working on and it's my first one. So I'm trying to, you know, get it all self-published and things. And oh, good for you. yeah, I have another book in the works and I'm probably going to make an announcement on the next episode of, of my Ruby story. And it's basically going to be, at least for me, my sort of post Ruby story. So it's going to be the things that I've been doing since I've, you know, was a full-time programmer. Okay. Um, and yeah, I've got, I've got a couple of things that I'm working on that I'm just going to, um, I'm going to be announcing and, and getting things ready for so people can jump in and and take advantage of that because I'm finding that there are gaps in the programming communities where nobody's really covering these things. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, there's certain, especially skills that, that people tend not to focus on that they need to. And so I'm going to be focusing on that and just helping people, you know, level up. And so I've got a couple of things in the works for that. And so I'll be cranking out a bunch of stuff this week. And yeah, and I think this comes out in like two weeks. Oh, that's nice. It might, it might be next week. But yeah, then I'll have that episode up and, you know, people can jump in and, and see what's going on. And it all ties in. That first book that I wrote was How to Find a Job as a mm-hmm. Programmer. And it was mostly focused on newer folks. And so, yeah, it, it kind of starts from there and builds up. So, yeah. well, that sounds really interesting. There's, uh, there are definitely a few people here at Death Method that would love to, you know, I'd love to learn about that. You know, my principal engineer or one of my principal engineers who's kind of responsible for our career ladder in particular, like he, he is very interested in, you know, finding the knowledge gaps and then addressing them and also finding ways that, you know, because we're consulting, like finding techniques for people to learn things quickly <laughs> when, yeah. you know, understanding that what you have to learn is not going to be a, some known quantity in advance, right? So different learning techniques, um, which it sounds like that's, there's some crossover there. With what you're yeah, learning. there's there's going to be, I don't want to spoil too much, but I do want to talk about it. Okay. So there there is going to be a track on essentially how to know what to learn and then how to learn it. Okay. And then there's there's going to be another track just on, and a lot of this was inspired by the uh, 10x uh, developer tweets that came out. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you saw those. I did. Yeah. Um, I did an episode on JavaScript Jabber, basically ripped apart like nine out of the 11 and then okay. with the other two. Okay. Um, and I realized that there's a fundamental misunderstanding of what programmers need to be good at in order to be effective. And so there, there, there's going to be a lot of material on that stuff. Oh, and I, I wrote a blog post about, I was like, look, he had 11 points. I have 11 points. Yeah. And, you know, and so like my number one was you have to be a good communicator. Right. Yes, I agree with that. You know, and I, I kind of left off that you have to be able to code because it kind of goes without saying. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, you know, once you're, and, and you don't even have to be 100% technically competent, but you have to be techni- technically competent. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Yeah. There's some bar. Yeah. But once you're at that point, then if you're, you know, if you're teachable and you're, you're constantly learning and you're, you work well with other people and you're willing to learn from others and you're willing to teach others and you're, you know, you're, you're a good team player. And, you know, those kinds of things are the things that really make a difference. And those are the kinds of things that you want, though, you know, people like you, if you're hiring for deaf method, you know, yeah, you're technically competent. And you have to have some of these other qualities or I don't want to work with you. Right. It's absolutely what we want. Yeah. If, if you're, if you're not a team player, I don't care if you're a genius coder. Yeah, no, that's absolutely right. I mean, it's, uh, and you, you hit the nail on the head with the, uh, you're continuously learning and you're interested in teaching. And that's actually, you know, we always want to find a single work. I think most, most companies, they want to find it, you know, a defining characteristic. And uh, for for Deaf Method, and we use this in our interviews, <clears throat> it's, you know, is this person a, a career learner? Are they trying? And it doesn't really matter. So we you know, we'll ask simple things like on, uh, on an initial phone screen. Hey, tell me something that you learned you know, recently. Something as general as that, right? And I don't care what the answer is. It could be piano, right? It could be, you know, but if they don't have an answer, they're thinking, oh, well, let me think about that. Well, yeah, thanks, but it's probably not, that's probably not a good fit. Yeah. Um, and that, that boils down in a lot of ways to corporate values. 
Yeah. Yeah, that's true. One of my favorite communities to get involved with these days is the Angular community. There are so many great people there. We've had a lot of them on Adventures in Angular over the last several years. And I really wanted to just highlight people and give you a chance to get to know the flavor and the feel of being around some of these awesome people. We've talked to people on the Angular core team. We've talked to people who have organized the conferences. We've talked to some of the co-hosts that I've had on Adventures in Angular. Nowadays, Aaron Frost is running the show and he's doing the same thing. Typically, he's been doing it at conferences lately, which is a lot of fun. But you get to hear what these people are about and why they care and how they get involved with other people in the Angular community. So if you're looking for that connection in the Angular community and a way to really understand the people who are involved in the Angular community, then go check out My Angular Story. You can find it at myangularstory.com. But yeah, they kind of come out of that human value. You know, we never want to be like, uh, you know, the old, the old adage that's been kind of, I think, uh, beaten pretty soundly by now. It's like, oh, is this the kind of person you want to go out and have a beer with? Like, well, you know, it's kind of half of us don't drink. And, uh, you know, I don't, yeah. and we're not evaluating our, our, our drinking buddies anyway. We're evaluating who we want to sit down and work with and be a yeah. professional colleague. Like, who am I going to be proud of five years from now, 10 years from now uh, to say I work with them, right? Because now look at what they're doing. They're doing great things. Um, yeah. That's, that's the kind of person I want to be, you know, sitting next to me writing code. Yeah. Oh, I just posted the the link twice. I didn't realize I'd done that. No, you did. Okay. But yeah, so my points were excellent communicators, consistent learning, uh, easy to understand code, writing tests, um, are able to find answers on Google quickly. They can pick a niche and fill it. Mm-hmm. Um, they're good mentors. They align with the company's mission, vision, values, and culture. Yep. Um, they write code in their spare time. They like working with other people who are quote unquote tenants engineers and um, they identify problems and propose solutions. And yeah, I'm going to, I'm actually going to have to change this because I wanted to coin a different term from 10 X because I just 10 X of what and who. Yeah. Just it's dumb, right? It's like, look, we're talking about the the top level maximum coder people, right? That's what we're talking about. Yeah. And so I have my other, my own term for that. That's going to be in the next episode. Okay. I am holding on to that. Yeah, but, okay. it's fine. But yeah. So uh, yeah, you can definitely go check that out. And I love this already. I'm, I'm very happy that writes tests makes the list. Yeah. Mentoring. I don't even care if it's TDD, right? Yeah, no. I mean, let's just start with you write some tests. Yeah, I know. As soon as you start talking TDD, you start getting controversial, but you got to write tests. And I like the, you know, writes code in their spare time. I, that is yeah. absolutely what I tell every new developer. Um, and it's not really so much just because they're, uh, because that will make them better, although that's true. It's also because when you're a brand new developer, a good way of knowing whether or not you're going to be any good is you kind of can't get enough of it. Right? Yeah. You do it all day long. And then, you know, regardless of how you feel about what you're doing all day long, you're like, well, I got this other project I want to work on too. And that's going to help me with X yeah. and solve this problem for me. Hey, I do really like that, especially for, you know, people that are in the earlier stage of their careers. Yep, absolutely. Anyway, enough about what I'm working on. Uh, what, <laughs> what are you What are you working on these days? Uh, these days, I'm working on. I'm I'm trying to learn more about um, sort of holistic product development. Um, so more about so I'm pushing more into parts of software development that don't 
necessarily involve writing code because uh, those are the parts that I am least familiar with. So mm-hmm. what, what makes a, a good product manager, what makes great product managers, you know, what a great product manager's career oh, yeah. path looks like, how design fits into those equations, you know, design, you know, product management, I can sort of, I can kind of hack it and say, okay, well, I've, I've at least seen that work and I know I get the underpinnings of it. I still have a long way to go. Design, I'm totally out of my depth. I can't design anything. And so I need people that are really great at that to show me how it can be done well, how it works for our startup customers, how it works for our well-established customers. So those are some things that I'm trying to understand. Those like three pillars of of application development, you know, thinking that, okay, hey, we've got we've got engineering down pretty good here. And uh, so let's get these other two involved and see how they get involved and, and how we do it effectively. Yep. Yeah. And that stuff, again, you know, it's not well quantified. I mean, a lot of the code stuff, it, it's enough to quantify because if you can get it, you can do it a couple of times and it'll work every time. We're pretty close. Yeah. yeah right. But with the uh, project manager stuff and some of the people stuff and the, uh, you know, the boss stuff, it, it's tough because you don't know that you've won or lost until either, um, you know, something else that you're measuring improves or until somebody rage quits your team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, um, you know, operationally, we, we can use metrics to just look at, okay, is, you know, is the money coming in? Is there enough? We make payroll, great. Um, but you're right, like product management, is, is a challenge. Not everybody yeah. wants to pay for it. Not everybody understands the value of it. We don't know. We don't, as an industry, and certainly as an, and I can speak for myself as an individual, I don't always do a great job of communicating how it's going to help, how it can continue to help our, our customers or even just any old company, right? It's really quick to say, I, I, it's really easy, I think, for people to say, well, this stuff that you're just you're describing with product management it sounds really great but you know to me it sounds like a luxury and uh, we can't afford a luxury right now you know we need to spend all of our money on on coding right or on engineering and uh, so it can be a really a really big challenge to describe a benefit and then you know and then have somebody come in that can not only establish that benefit but you know sort of build that trust and create something that you know, genuinely tangible and worthwhile um, to the to the end user, to the customer, and to the team. Yeah, yeah, it's it's really interesting because uh, I mean, beyond doing it with and doing without, and kind of measuring, yeah. right? It, it's yeah. hard to quantify. Okay, this is where the value is, <laughs> just, just on a cost per whatever basis. So it is, and yet I'm sure you have this experience. I know I have. I've been on a project with an absolutely outstanding product manager and I get through that project and I don't know how in the world we would have done this without this person. Yeah. Um, you know, and so that happens too. And so, how do you, you know, so as soon as you figure out how to you know, bottle that up and, you know, mass produce it, let me know. Because that's, you know, that's effectively what we're trying to do. We're trying to say, okay, let's take those great, let's harness all of those great qualities and put it into our hiring practices, put it into our interview process, put it into our ultimately put it into our customers um, yeah. day-to-day workflow. Yeah. Well, even testing, I mean, you brought that up before. That's one yeah. of those points. I, I've had 
I had clients when I was freelancing and they'd be like, we're not going to pay you to write tests. Yeah. And I looked at them and I said, you're nuts. I said, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's going to cost more now, you know, cause it's going to take some time, right? It's not, yeah. it's not free time. Yeah. yeah. But the flip side is, is that, you know, when I'm not around anymore or, you know, future me, if I'm still here working on this in a year, I'm not going to remember hundred percent what I did. And right. so if I have something in there that says, you've been working off the assumption that it's going to look something like this, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Then it's going to save me days. Yeah. Yeah. You're absolutely right. Um, my, uh, yeah, my principal engineer, Paul, you know, so we have this, it's one of our quote unquote core values is that we're going to test drive our code. And so we're able to say, you know, if somebody says, look, we're not going to pay for that. It's, we're able to say, okay, we, then we're just not a good fit. And then, you know, yeah. that's, that's very hard to do when you're an individual um, contractor. But my, one of my favorite quotes is from my principal engineer, Paul, who, you know, I'll say something like, well, they're not sure if they want to, they're not sure if they want to pay for testing. Uh, or they're not sure if they can afford to test. And <laughs> Paul will immediately say, okay, well, did you ask them if they can afford to do it twice? <laughs> that's so true yeah and it really is true you're effectively saying well i can't afford to do this yeah yeah you're essentially saying well i can't afford to do this right the first time um so, <laughs> so but in some magical time in the future i'll have plenty of time to do it right and i'll just pay yeah. for it all over again all right well um i've got to move on to a few other things so i'm going to uh push us into picks okay so sounds good you have some me. things you want to shout out about I do. Um, I have been I've been digging this uh, uh, this new app uh, or this new application called Kobe K O B E E dot I O, uh -huh. and Kobe is like they're a Zendesk intercom kind of competitor. But what I really like about it is that their feedback comes in kind of two flavors. So they you're able to organize the feedback so that it can open up to the entire team. And so it's not just one level of service person that's responding to all of the tickets. Uh, so you can kind of customize things there. The other thing is that the, the people that are, you know, kind enough to write something in and, and use, uh, you know, the interface that comes with like a, a Zendesk or Intercom with Kobe, they really get kind of like a VIP experience. So if they're, if they're writing about a certain issue, they will get updates on that particular issue just get some email blast of like, hey, here's what we improved. And, uh, and so I've, I've, I've come to really like that. Um, looking forward to incorporating it into a few of our uh, maintenance, maintenance agreements, maintenance contracts that we have with uh, our customers in uh, the coming months. Awesome. I'll have to check it out. Yeah. All right. I'm going to throw in a few picks. So one thing that I've been uh, working with my team on is getting um, an email roundup of all of our episodes for the week. So my, my team got it out today and okay, great. realized how long it was because <laughs> we produced, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 18 episodes last week. Wow. And so, you know, it's, and it's got, you know, kind of a, a quick summary of each one. Yeah. So it's, it's, yeah. Gmail actually truncated it and said, click here to see the whole thing. Right, right. But um, if you want to see what we're putting out every week, especially for those people that kind of, you know, maybe you're subscribed to my Ruby story and Ruby rogues, and then periodically you hear about something on JavaScript Jabber or views on view or react roundup or something and you're going, 
Man, that sounded awesome, but I don't know if I want to subscribe to a whole show on view or mm-hmm. react. Um, yeah. This is a good way to kind of stay up on that stuff because then you can jump in and you can be like, oh, okay. So maybe the debugging with Todd Gardner that's, you know, in there this week, you know, you're going to be like, oh, that sounds interesting because they're probably going to talk about debuggers and print statement debugging and things like that, which we did, you know, so you can go check that out. So um, if you just uh, sign up on any of the forms on devchat.tv, then you can... Uh, you can definitely do that. We talked about the 10x engineer post. I posted another post to the blog. And I'm going to be blogging more, so just keep an eye on that. But uh, the post is how to stay current effectively, how to stay current in technology effectively in 2019. And it's just kind of a summary of my approach to how to stay current in whatever technology you want to be current on. So uh, I'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. Um, I'm really trying to put out content like this that's going to help people. Um, I'm not necessarily always aiming for things that are, I guess, uh, generally or widely helpful for all programmers. But these are the things that I've been thinking about lately. And so these are the things that I'm going to pick. And then one last pick, and this is going to be something that's kind of along the lines of some of the things that we talked about, Joe. Um, I'm reading a book called All In. Um, oh, And I don't remember the author. I'll have to look it up here on Amazon while we talk. But okay. All In is it's a book about culture in companies and okay. what it is is it's uh it's just a walkthrough and it talks about the, the the entire premise and i'll just uh summarize kind of part of the first chapter is there was this uh act in the 1920s i think and he was a tightrope walker and so they strung a rope across the niagara falls and he'd walk across it and walk back oh my god and, you know he'd get all these people um, you know, coming out to watch him. And so one time he actually went out to the, walked over to the crowd and said, you know, with his wheelbarrow, cause he was doing it with a wheelbarrow that time. And he asked who wanted to get in the wheelbarrow, <laughs> you know, if he screws up, you know, you're going on the falls, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, That I'm might not. be bad. <laughs> and, you know, uh, he was, he was joking. Right. But, uh, nobody volunteered and he, you know, he's kind of standing there acting like he's waiting for somebody to volunteer. And his, his uh, agent volunteered and uh, you know, and he, you know, he kind of laughed and, you know, anyway, he, he wound up going across with an empty wheelbarrow because he, (laughs) he he hadn't planned on right. Having anybody in the wheelbarrow. Um, But uh, the next time he went across Niagara Falls, he actually went across Niagara Falls with his agent on his shoulders. (laughs) Right. And so, so the, the idea is, is, you know, are you creating a culture where people are all in to the point where they'll get in your wheelbarrow. Oh, I like that metaphor. And uh, anyway, it has been awesome. I'm about a third of the way through it, but okay. I, I'm, I'm absolutely loving it. it, was, it it's been an incredible book to just kind of go through and, and read through. So uh, I'm going to shout out about that one as well. And then I guess I'm on a roll, so I'm going to pick one more because I feel okay. like it. Um, so on Audible, I bought a book called For Men Only. And it's basically a, you know, it's a guidebook to women for men. And it, what, what it's, what's really interesting about it is they base a lot of their, what, what they say in the book on like surveys and polls that they did of women. And then of course, you know, they go through and describe, you know, this is how a man's brain, you know, mind works. Right. And, you know, he, he, he like pegs me to the wall. Right. It's like, (laughs) like, I think about one thing. And then when it's done, I think about the next thing. And then when it's done, I think about the next thing. And yeah. apparently, um, 
you know, he makes the analogy that women's minds work more where they have several ongoing processes in the back of their mind. And any one of them can pop a window on your screen at any moment. <laughs> right. And yeah. so if you can, if you can help them get to the point where, you know, cause so, so my reaction is, well, think about something else essentially is what my reaction boils down to. Right. And instead for my wife, it's more of a, okay, what can I do to help you close the window? Mm-hmm. Interesting. And, and so, you know, and he talks about all these other things. Yeah. He even talks about sex. You know, it, it's for men to understand their wives or, you know, men to understand their girlfriends or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, if you're, I, I don't think it's a cure all, but it definitely made me think about different things and realize that there's another perspective to a lot of the things that I go through in my life. And, uh, and so it was helpful on that front as well. So that's good. I think anything that can help us to, um, get another perspective is a good thing. Yep. I have to, uh, I have to thank you in maybe the form of a pick Charles. You mentioned that when we were recording the last time you mentioned that ancient city Ruby was uh, still accepting proposals. And I, uh, I said, wow, that sounds great. And so I went and I proposed and I am speaking at ancient city Ruby. Awesome. uh, Yeah. About three weeks. Um, so thank you and thank the folks at, uh, thank you to the folks at Ancient City Ruby. Um, I'm very excited to be speaking there. Nice. That's one of the ones that I've wanted to speak at for a few years. So yeah, okay. <laughs> one day. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, I'm also excited. I'm doubly excited because my sisters just moved down to Tampa, which is a few hours drive from Jacksonville Beach, but, right. but uh, close enough that they can, they can come and hang out if, uh, if I stay the weekend. So. Should be a lot of cool. Yeah. Good deal. Well, it, Joe, if people want to see what you're working on today or, uh, you know, kind of get your train of thought or anything like that, where do they go? Yeah. Find me on Twitter, jleo3. Um, you can find me on pretty much all media uh, by jleo3. But I really just be on LinkedIn, Twitter, and, and GitHub, the only networks I'm on. Um, so find me there and, uh, and check out deathmethod.com. Oh, and I will say also that I am, I am a guest chef on an upcoming Ruby Tapas episode. That's nice. on September 29th. Yeah, that's my first, my first foray, um, into Ruby Tapas with Avdi. But it's a really great experience just kind of putting that thing together. And, uh, and he has some, some excellent people working with him. Um, yep. as do you, Charles. Yeah, I miss talking to Avdi every week. So yeah, yeah. So um, yeah, so that's uh, that's how you that's how you kind of figure out what's going on with me, you know. And uh, shoot me an email or send me a message on uh, on Twitter. I'm I'm a friendly guy. I'm usually around. I'll respond. All right, sounds good. All right, all right, Joe. Well, we'll go ahead and wrap this up. Thank you for coming. All right, thanks, Charles. It was great to be on. Yeah, it was fun. Yeah. All right. All talk right. to you later. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.